today's reading is from Matthew chapter 28, which can be found on page 1000 of the Church Bibles. That's Matthew chapter 28 on page 1000. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is God's word. A very good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. Uh, Let me add my welcome to that of Chris's. It's a particular welcome to you if you are visiting. It's great to have you with us. Uh, It would be tremendously helpful if you can keep that passage open, page Uh, 1000. So do please keep that passage open as we look at it. And thank you, Joe, for reading as well. I asked Joe to read the whole chapter, but we are just going to look at this from verses 16 to 20. Uh, and if you don't know, we're, we're going for a series looking at the Bible in a year from Genesis to Revelation and looking at key landmark passages that help us. Uh, and we're sort of looking at them in situ um, and thinking about what it means for us today. As we begin, let me pray for us. 
Lord, we thank you that you are the source of life. And we thank you for the word of life, your son, our saviour, Jesus. We thank you for his words here. And we pray that you would help us understand what he spoke those thousands of years ago. Speak into our hearts and minds, we pray. Help us to see who Jesus really is and what it means to serve him as his followers. That we might be encouraged to go from this place and share your wonderful news of the gospel with all we love and know and don't know. For your glory's sake we pray. Amen. Uh, in the 1950s, the LAPD, that's the Los Angeles Police Department, had a motto, or they were the first to coin the motto, to protect and serve. Uh, and since then, it's been widely used by police departments everywhere. Uh, and it speaks of the duty for the officers in blue to safeguard and help the citizens when in need. Of course, duty is vital in other walks of life too. Think of a doctor, the duty of a doctor to treat their patients, to care for them. The duty of a teacher to instruct their students. The duty of a politician to help their constituents. The duty of a soldier to defend their country. Now, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not a profession, but it still comes with duty, an obligation, responsibility to do what the Lord Jesus says. Now, I guess if Christians, that is, disciples of Jesus, had a motto, it would be something like, disciples make disciples or go and make disciples. Uh, that is what the final verses in Matthew's Gospel tell us. Uh, we have a reunion of sorts with Jesus and his disciples after his resurrection. Uh, they're up uh, a mountain in Galilee, and we're told in verse 17 that when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. And this, of course, was an appropriate response to who Jesus is. And yet we see that some doubted. Now, this doubt could either be a, a fear of how Jesus would respond to them. If we remember the story uh, that some of the disciples had abandoned Jesus in his darkest hour. But it could also be the feeling that all of this was just too good to be true. Is Jesus really raised from the dead? Is he really alive? Now, however we understand their response, we clearly see Jesus coming to them with words of encouragement, assurance, but also instruction. And before Jesus ascends to his rightful place in heaven to return to his father, he commissions his followers to go and make disciples. 
That is their duty on earth. And this duty, it extends to Christ's people, the church. You see, the measure of Jesus' commands goes way beyond the means and the capabilities of the 12 apostles. Uh, they, they certainly helped in, in spreading the gospel throughout the ancient Near East, but not to the ends of the earth. And we are still in what we call this age, the last days. But the 12 apostles have long since passed away. And so this duty has been passed on to us, the church. And it has done so for centuries. But now that we are living in these times today, it comes to us. Christians are disciples of Jesus. And we must do our duty. We are to make disciples. Now, we're going to look at these verses in more detail to think through what that means. Uh, and to help us to do this, I have a sort of summary sentence that we're going to break up in a minute, down into sort of three parts. But here it is all together. Under Christ's authority, disciples make disciples reassured that Jesus is always with them. I'll say that again. Under Christ's authority, disciples make disciples reassured that Jesus is always with them. So let's take the first point, the first part of that sentence. Under Christ's authority. Uh, Look with me from verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Uh, Now, the Gospels give plenty of examples of Jesus' divine authority uh, during his earthly ministry. Uh, He had the authority to preach, uh, the authority to judge, the authority to forgive sins, the authority over sickness, uh, the authority over nature, the authority over evil, even the authority over death. But it seems that post-resurrection there is something different here. And the giveaway is the small but vitally significant word, all, halfway through verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, given to Jesus. Now, some commentators say that It's uh, unlikely uh, an entirely new authority, but what we might understand as a new level of authority, perhaps the highest level possible. I mean, it makes me think of something like the CIA, you know, that you have top-level clearance. This can only be given after all that Jesus has gone through. And now this authority is all-embracing and all-encompassing. Uh, Jesus is in the position of power up there in heavens and down here on the earth. It is full and total coverage. Uh, We might say that uh, from his birth until his death, there was, if you like, a veil over Christ. But as the stone is rolled away and Jesus emerges from the tomb, that veil is removed 
And now we see Jesus as he truly is. Now we see the absolute and all-encompassing authority of the Son of Man. And the Father in heaven gave full access to his incarnate but now exalted Son. And Jesus' ascension into heaven was his coronation where he was crowned not merely king of the Jews, but king of God's entire creation. He is king of the universe. Now, we might better understand a passage like this alongside something like Philippians 2, a well-known passage to many of us, where we're told that Christ set aside the privileges and rights, the authority afforded to him as God's son. He made himself nothing, taking on humanity and humbling himself even to the humiliating death of crucifixion. And because of what Jesus has done, God saw fit to exalt his risen son to the highest place that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Jesus was worthy to, to retake the authority that he put aside. He was worthy to be enthroned as God's eternal king. Now, this was a long, arduous, but worthwhile road for Jesus to go down to reach ultimate glory. In chapter 4 of Matthew's Gospel, we read of Satan's offer to give the kingdoms of the world to Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Now, all Jesus must do is bow down and worship him. But wonderfully, the Lord resists. He does not fall into temptation. He refuses to take the shortcut to glory. He sees Satan's offer for what it is, a mockery, a shallow and superficial bargain. And through his obedience, Jesus receives infinitely more than Satan's bogus proposition. And just think how foolish it would be have been to accept such an offer. Without Christ's redemptive work, he would be ruling over earthly, finite kingdoms whose subjects were ultimately doomed for destruction. And much better was it that Jesus resisted the devil's schemes and went willingly to the cross. And all this was a fulfillment of the prophet Daniel, which Chris read at the beginning of our service, where one like the Son of Man returned to the Ancient of Days and was given an eternal people and an everlasting dominion that can never and shall never be destroyed. And Jesus, he reminds his disciples of this authority that he has. All authority. All authority. And with that understanding, he then proceeds to give his command. 
that we might think Jesus uh, here like an army officer who kind of pronounces his military rank before issuing orders to his troops. And with that same authority, Jesus commands us. And his command, as it was to those 12 apostles, the first disciples, is to make disciples. And this takes us to the second part of our sentence. See, under Christ's authority, disciples make disciples. Uh, Read from me from verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, in his previous ministry, Jesus deliberately restricted his work to the Jewish people and previously sent his disciples with the same restriction. Now, only in rare Uh, exceptions to Jesus' minister among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Now all of that is past, and the disciples are commissioned to take the gospel to all the nations. There is no place on earth where the gospel of Jesus should not be preached and where disciples should not be made. And that makes sense. If Jesus' authority covers all the earth and commands us to make disciples, then surely he wants people from every corner of the globe to believe in him. And furthermore, because Jesus has this worldwide sovereignty, his jurisdiction is total. And that means that as we make disciples, we shouldn't think that our reach is kind of limited. You know, we're not like a, a city detective or a county sheriff who have no authority across state or county lines. We are not limited to our school or college or workplace or social club. Nor are we limited to our street, our neighborhood, our village, our, our country. Christ's mission is global. We can and must take his gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, that doesn't mean that after this service this morning, we go and have to pack our bags and head off to distant shores tomorrow. Because the gospel needs to be proclaimed here too. Uh, Of course, some, like our mission partners, have have had that desire put upon them to carry out Christ's command abroad, and we faithfully support them, and that is necessary work. But most of us here will will do the Lord's duty through our local church, and that is essential too. Now, what we might need reminding of is that truth that Christ's mission is global, We've got to think bigger than Banstead. As Jesus says in Acts 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Uh, Now, I I think this 
focus should lead to a richer prayer life where we pray regularly for our mission partners. We do that corporately, but also it would be great that we'd make sure that we're doing that privately with our families on our own. We pray for churches around the world to make disciples. And we pray that they might pray that we would do the same. Now, from verses 19 to 20, Jesus says that making disciples requires three actions. Three actions. And the first action is for the disciples to to go. They are to go. See, the mission of Jesus, the command of Jesus, requires movement. Not just walking in and walking out of a church building. Not just standing up and sitting down to sing. A going out is required, an intentional movement toward the lost. And this will manifest itself in various ways, from a, a sort of spontaneous conversation, perhaps in a, in a taxi, uh, from uh, an invitation to, a, I mean, be a work colleague uh, to a church event or a course, or, or maybe something a little bit more deliberate and intimate, a one-to-one Now, going may even mean traveling abroad, whether for a few months, like some of our church family are doing, or something far more permanent. But what is important for us to know is that as Christians, we can all be involved in the action to go. Think about who you could go to. Pray for those you're already going to. Share that with your church family, your smaller local group, so that you can pray for you and for them. Uh, The second action in making disciples is to baptize disciples. Now, it's important that we understand that baptism doesn't make you a disciple, it doesn't make you a believer. You know, there's nothing special about the water. We say those sort of things. Um, Often Kev does, doesn't he? He stands up whenever we have a baptism to make it clear we understand what baptism is. It is a public sign and declaration of your faith in response to the transformative work God has already done in you. And this is done, and this is to be done in the name of the Holy Trinity. When someone is baptized, they are publicly and visibly plunged uh, into communion with the triune God of our salvation. It is a sign of their fellowship under the authority of the Trinity. And it is as though they are marked out or sort of branded with the holy name of God. But I think the focus here particularly regards the command to baptise. We shouldn't view it as an optional extra. I'll make it clear again, we're not saved by baptism. But it's a, a command, just as it is to take communion. Jesus commands us to be baptised. 
And so that command might hit home for some of us here this morning. Now, I say this with absolute sincere love and grace to those that it concerns. But if you would call yourself a Christian but have yet to be baptized, why is that? Why are you not doing what Christ commands? And why would you not want to? Because it's a wonderful, joyous, public celebration of what the Lord has done for you. Uh, now, this may, of course, bring up some questions. Uh, questions of interest or on baptism or, or anything like that. So please do speak to me afterwards or another member of, of staff. And uh, uh, if you want to know more, then please do. We are very willing to talk these things through with you. Now, it should also be said that most of us won't actually be participating in the actual physical act of, of baptism. You know, we don't all get down into the water ourselves to baptise. But again, we still play an important part, an important role in a baptised believer. Because we are witnesses, if we're, if we're present, we are witnesses of their declared faith and baptism. And from that day, we have an ongoing responsibility to support and encourage them and to build them up in the Lord. That is all our responsibility as believers in Jesus. So let me encourage you to think about that. And the third action that we see here that is involved in making disciples is the teaching of Christ's word. It is the teaching of Christ's words. Let's remind ourselves what Jesus says. Verse 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. See, when it comes to the teaching of God's word, it is not simply about the retention or the retaining of knowledge. Because that's, that's the world of academia and education. The, the, the teaching of God's word brings radical change. It is life-changing. It brings people to Christ. But it also grows people in Christ. I think of it a little bit like a, a stonemason who has a block of marble in front of him. Now, acquiring that stone is like the word bringing a person to faith in Christ. It belongs to the mason, who is Jesus, which is great, but it is still just a lump of marble of rock. There is no exquisite shape or figure, no beauty. But as the mason starts to work, more and more of its beauty is revealed. And that's what it is like for a believer taught by the word of God. Because they become something beautiful. They become something beautiful. They become like Jesus. Jesus speaks of this in verse 20 as obedience. Now, obedience often has a, quite a negative stigma in our society, doesn't it? But how can it be negative? 
How can it be bad when it's obedience to Jesus? That can only be a good thing. And so teaching the word of God is an essential part of church and family life. Again, not all of us will be teachers. We won't necessarily teach up the front or with our children's groups or whatever it might be, small and local groups. But again, we still play our part. Now, that includes sitting under the authority of God's word for ourselves to do that regularly, to be fed and to be nurtured, to be sculpted. It's praying for our teachers to teach with clarity and with faithfulness. And it's also using the time well after services, perhaps, or maybe during the week, to talk through the teaching that we've received with others, to be encouraged and to encourage one another. And of course, for those who do teach, we need to teach the whole counsel of God. We don't shy away from the tricky passages. We teach every aspect of God's character. As Jesus says, teach everything I have commanded. But what we must also do is make sure that we are applying the word of the Lord. Because, again, we don't want to just be those who are retaining knowledge, but it has little impact in our lives. We want to see growth and maturity. We want to see faithful obedience. We want to see, again, the beauty of Christ visible in our daily lives. That's what makes a disciple of Christ. Uh, now, these um, verses have formed the foundation for our own, our own church mission statement, which is go, win, grow. And because we have this mission statement, it shows that as a church, we can all be involved as believers in the making of disciples of all nations. We all play a part. Now, this might seem rather daunting. Uh, we can only imagine how the first disciples felt after spending so many uh, close uh, years, three years, so many days with Jesus by their side, for him to then return to heaven after all that they had seen and all that he had gone through. It must have been hard to be away from him, or the prospect to hear those words that he was going to be going back to his father. And yet, wonderfully, he gives him such awesome assurance. And here's our final point. As a whole sentence, under Christ's authority, disciples make disciples reassured that Jesus is always with them. Verse, end of verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In the Lord of the Rings, there's a, a wonderful repeated refrain of comfort and assurance that Frodo has on his dangerous journey to destroy the ring. It is that his friend Sam is 
always by his side. And he says it himself. I'm glad you're with me, Samwise Gamgee. But Jesus' assurance to his disciples, it is not him sort of physically and visibly by our sides. He is with them by his omnipresent spirit, his Holy Spirit, our great comforter. And what a comfort it would have been to them. It would have dispelled those sort of Monday morning blues the day after Jesus had left them to know that they would not be alone. Jesus would always be with them. And that same assurance is given to you and to me. Because the Spirit dwells in every believer. He helps us. He guides us. He instructs us. He transforms us. And he comforts us. And he is who we need to do the duty of our Lord Jesus Christ. He helps us to make disciples of all nations. And that promise that Jesus gives, it is not conditional. We don't have to do anything to receive God's Spirit. It comes through faith in Christ, which is a gift from God. You see, Jesus' promise of his eternal presence is by grace and fueled by his great love for us. He does not want us to be alone in the task we have to do. Now, if you'd say you might be struggling to know his presence within you, then perhaps you may know him more through getting further involved in church life. To serve will show, I think, the Spirit's work in you. And certainly it's good that we pray to the Spirit for him to be at work in our lives, not just ourselves, but in others too. That would be a good thing to pray. See, I think the more we serve, we will see him working in us. And the greater our assurance assurance and comfort will be. So let's obey the command of our King Jesus. The one who is in control. The one who has all authority. Doing our duty. Doing what he commands. Which is to make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them. And teaching them. Fully in the knowledge that by his spirit, Jesus is with us. Let me pray for us. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Father, what wonderful words of assurance and comfort they are to us.
pray, Lord, that you would help us to do our duty, which is to go and make disciples of all nations. May we do that with that knowledge that you are with us. And may we take great encouragement from this work to see it as a joy and a privilege and help us to have courage to go out and to share the wonderful good news of the gospel, we pray. For your glory's sake. Amen.